It takes about seven minutes to drive from my church to the Allen Premium Outlet Malls. And, um, and this weekend, as normal, a lot of people made the drive to that mall, and some of them didn't come home. I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, and this episode of Right Angles brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. And gentlemen, normally when we prepare an episode of Right Angle, I've got a page or two or three of handwritten notes of things I want to remember and things I want to say. And on my notes for this episode, at the top of the page, I wrote Allen, Texas. And that's all I have. Um, I didn't realize how um, close that was to you, Scott. Jeez. It's if we live pretty far away from our church, so if I drove from my house to the mall, it's about 32 minutes from here, um, traveling at unbelievably high speeds on Texas highways. But um, the church where uh, Stephanie and I are, are, are part um, hosted the um, prayer service that the Sunday evening uh, for the community, so that people could come and um, and pray and you know, just have a moment there with others from the community. Um, Alan, as you probably know, if you live anywhere in the country, probably anywhere in the world, is a, a Dallas suburb of about 100, 105,000 people. And um, the area where that mall is, is right across the highway from another mall. So it's a big retail, actually two other malls. So it's a really big retail intersection there. Um, it's an it's an outdoor place. Um, this is the kind of a... Of a a mall that you would see, like usually outlet malls are out on a highway somewhere far away from most other things. And, you know, you're, you're driving along the highway and then you say, oh, look, there's an outlet, outlet mall 30 miles from the last exit. Well, this is that kind of a place, except it's right in the middle of a, of a community. And so all the stores open up inward toward this one big parking lot in the center. And, uh, and a guy clearly who has some problems um, got out of his car and started firing into you know the crowds of people dressed in shorts and t-shirts on a gorgeous Texas day, um, killing eight, injuring others, and uh, and then fortunately an Allen Police Department officer happened to be on the scene for another reason and heard the sound of the gunfire, ran to it, and took the shooter down and saved countless other lives. Um, I don't want to have this episode to engage in speculation on who this guy was or why he did it. Um, I have no words uh, for people who have suffered loss in my community here. Um, You know, when we gathered at church that next morning, um, we sang praises to God and we prayed and we read God's word and we did what we normally do. There are people from that church congregation who shop in that mall, obviously, who work in that mall. Um, so it's, it's very close um, to where we are there. But what I did notice, gentlemen, um, is a couple of things, it, both in, in media coverage as well as in conversations that I heard at work on Monday. Uh, it just every time you walk past people who were talking to each other who weren't with customers at the time, they were talking about this. And it just seemed to me like normal that everybody knows what nobody knows. Um, Everybody immediately thinks they understand the fullness of the situation and how it happened or how it could happen. And 
that that answer tends to be within the confines of your own worldview where you already have an idea of this is what causes these kinds of things or that's what causes these kinds of things and we immediately retreat to those fortresses and begin to talk about it in terms of well if we could only change this government policy or if we would only be more effective in that public uh, health area then somehow this would stop and um, I'll be honest with you, Steve Green, um, this is not a popular thing to say, but part of me thinks you really can't stop acts of unpredictable mayhem like this for can't. no matter what the government would do, or at least I should say it this way, you can't stop it without what I would call an unacceptable level of restraint of freedom in one way or another. Um, Steve, I'm not asking you to, to jump into the speculation bath with everybody else, but I, I guess, you know, what were your thoughts as the, as the news of this came out? I mean, you're from Colorado, so obviously you're not a stranger to, uh, you know, being in proximity to this kind of an yeah. incident. What, what were your initial thoughts? And, and by the way, I should add, I, I was at work in a retail store about 15 miles down the road from that location. And I didn't, it happened at about 3.30 in the afternoon. The first I heard of it was three hours later when my wife texted me and asked me if I was on the way home and then said, did you hear about? And I had not. Oh um, so anyway, what, just tell me what your thoughts were as just as a human um, when you first heard this? I, I think the same thought that, that everybody had. Oh, God, not again. I mean, it, 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 isn't that what everybody thinks on this, on this news? It, there, there, there have been enough of these, too many of these. Um, but you, you struck home something about... Ah, uh, this is a tough one. Um, I'm going to have to sort of intellectualize this a bit because I don't know another way around it without just, you know, sobbing. Um, there's a book I read back in the 90s, I think it came out in 96, 97, called The Sovereign Individual, in which the the authors, whose names escape me at the moment, talked about uh, uh, future trends. And they got they got a lot of stuff right. They, uh, they predicted Bitcoin without even knowing what blockchain was going to be back when they read this thing. They said that, uh, that uh, some sort of crypto protection was going to come to banking and that the feds were going to be very upset about not being able to get their hands on this money. Bitcoin came along. I'm like, wow, maybe I need to reread this book. These guys are, are pretty sharp. Um, one of the things they noted is when they wrote this book, the uh, the violent crime wave that started in this country in the in the late 60s and and got worse and worse and worse up until the early 90s was only just only just starting to decline at that time. And they said that uh, uh, the violent crime is going to continue a long, slow decline for for many years to come. Um, but what they what they said was that anxiety about violent crime is going to uh, increase regardless starting at some point because while the number of incidents are going to decline, what's going to increase is the randomness of these these violent acts. Um, you know, 1930s you know or 1920s prohibition era Chicago was a very violent place, but almost all of the violence was was limited to between the police 
and the mobsters. Uh, the mob knew not to come after civilians because the police would just come out and shoot them. Um, and that, that kept things relatively peaceful for, for John and Jane Doe trying to, trying to live their lives. I'm not saying there weren't any civilian casualties, but it, it wasn't like today. And the same thing was true in uh, pre-Giuliani New York in the 70s and 80s. The, the crime was mainly limited to, for lack of a better word, the criminal class, or lack of a better phrase, I should say. Um, but something has clicked, and we can we can debate about the reasons or the, the political solutions, if there are any, uh, all day and night. And I don't think there's any point to doing that on, on today's show. At least I'm not going to do it, because we all know what everybody is going to say about this already. It reminds me of a uh, yeah. an essay uh, class I had in uh, in college back at, at the University of Missouri taught by a TA named David Cantwell, who said, I don't want you to write about uh, abortion, gun control, or, or one other issue. I can't remember what the third issue is, because he said, every word anybody could ever hope to say about these three issues has already been said. I want you to write about things you know and love. Write about pizza, write about cereal, write about your favorite toys when you were a kid. Just Just... Don't write about these things. And that's that's where we are with these shootings. Everybody knows what everybody's position is, so we don't have to do that. But we do have to, in some way, um, in, our, in our attitudes and in our uh, preparations, and I guess in our souls, accept the fact that there is a randomness and if we can't address it politically because we're too much at loggerheads, then we're going to have to address these things in a, in a more personal way. And I'm not talking about vigilantism or, or anything like that. In fact, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. I, I'm not sure I, I've had the strength to, to look inside myself at, at, at that level, at that depth. So I guess I should uh, leave it there and, and turn it back over to you, my friend. I'm, I'm sorry. Bill Whittle, there are two other things that, that struck me about this. Um, one was within 24 to 48 hours of the events in Allen, um, in South Texas, uh, a, a, an individual about the same age as the shooter in Allen uh, drove his car into a crowd of people and killed, again, eight people, injured, I think, eight or nine, maybe more others, uh, could have been more than that. And, um, and so that, of course, didn't spark a discussion about the weapon um, at all. And, um, and really it was just kind of what's wrong with this guy? It, did he pass out? Was he drunk? Was he on drugs? Was he a terrorist? Was he, you know, whatever. So they, they were, uh, so there's that, like there's the disconnect in the public where literally, you know, almost identical death toll, but one incident sparks this big discussion around this flashpoint issue. And then the other one doesn't. Um, and, and then that, and a Texas state senator came out today, and I think he's trying to get a bill passed, but he's demanding that local police authorities be much more forthcoming with information as they uncover details about the incident. Um, and basically, it sounded like he was saying, as soon as the cops find out anything, they need to tell everybody. They need to announce it on the news. They need to they need to show any body cam video or video that they've acquired from the scene. Um, they need to immediately reveal the names, the motives, the social media gleanings that you know that they've that they have tried to do over the couple of days. And and Bill, maybe it's just my training as a journalist, but part of me has gone. You know, if you just 
like there's there's evidence and then there's a case and then there's a trial and then there's you know there's a line of reasoning and there's all of that but if you took every case that ever comes before a court and just told everybody, hey, ladies and gentlemen, here's all the bags of evidence. Go ahead and rifle through them yourselves and see if you can figure out what happened here. It's almost like this Texas state senator is arguing for kind of a gossip-based um, you know, distribution of everything we know and let's let the crowd figure out what happened. Is, is crowdsourcing the, judici the judicial process a good idea here? Do you think the public has a right to know every detail that the police are finding out in real time? Uh, I think they have a right to know every detail. I don't think they have a right to know it in real time. Uh, we have seen a number of high profile cases where the, the, um, the number of people, the, the, the names of the people who visited um, Epstein's Island, as an example, right? That's that's information that the public, I think, has a right to know, and it's been kept from us, and 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 we, it's been kept from us because those people are important. And so, to the degree that eventually this information should be released, I agree. But I completely agree with you that this idea of releasing it as we get it is just plain nuts. Th this is how you get people really insane because the first the first suspect is not necessarily it everything is in motion as it's happening and bill I'm can i say something of, in my, because i know please. somebody's going to jump on what i just said not what you said because they're going to say well there is going to be no trial the kill, the shooter was shot dead and so it's not a judicial process so why not spill everything out there immediately because we don't know everything uh, we have not in, we have not conducted a an investigation in the fullness of time, and when you give people partial information, sometimes that information is correct and I'm uh, incorrect. Rather, I'm reminded of the guy, the security guy who was uh, accused of being the Atlanta Olympic bomber, yeah, yeah. and was completely destroyed by this. And and yeah, Richard Jewell turns out he he didn't do it, but everybody thought he did it. And when and when they announced him, it sounded convincing. And so we try to avoid these kind of errors. That's why we have a system. That's why uh, procedure is a better word, right? So, yes, yeah, so on that score, 100%, I agree with that. This one seems different to me. Um, and the reason this one seems different to me is that this guy had an extensive criminal record. We can, any, any talk about his motives, I agree, is speculation. No, not the, not factually, the shooter at Allen. The guy, the guy in South Texas who ran over the uh, crowd of people, he had an extensive criminal record. The guy in Allen didn't have a criminal record that I know of. He was excused. Was he a from, member of a gang? Did he have gang tattoos? He was tattoos excused from the army. He had some tattoos. He was excused from the army. Um, he had uh, tattoos, at least they think if they're looking at his social media account. Uh, they, they have pictures of tattoos that look like he was a, a Nazi uh, sympathizer. And then allegedly this patch on his chest that, that uh, has an acronym that they say stands for uh, Right Wing Death Squad. And so... Well, you know, um, but he but he actually got uh, certified. If again, if it's the same guy, that's the thing. Like right now, they're still exploring. That, that guy has a relatively common name, and they're just like, oh, was is it this guy? But he apparently had certification as a security guard, so which involves okay, so, background checks and training and stuff like that. But apparently, no no criminal record leading up to this. This is then a perfect example for why this uh, well-meaning um, uh, bill is not the kind of bill to pass, because clearly the person I was thinking about is not this person. Uh, I saw a news report about this. I saw a news report about a guy being taken down in a shooting in, in uh, Texas. 
And the guy was a well-known gang member. He was completely ammoed up. He was an illegal immigrant and all the rest of it. That story may have been six years old, for all I know. That's another thing about when you're looking on the web. You find things, you think, you know, you don't you don't check the dates. So this is a great example of, of that aspect of it. But I think there are, I think there is a, a, a larger issue here that can be talked about. I don't know. Let me just say two things. First of all, your point and Steve's point is important. People say we want to have perfect safety. There's no such thing as perfect safety. Things happen in this world. You have to accept that you're living on planet Earth, and sometimes random acts of violence are are uh, inflicted upon you or people you love. It's a measure of how safe and secure our society generally is that this kind of thing still has this kind of emotional shock on us. For most of people who have lived through most of human history, this suddenly being attacked out of nowhere was the standard human condition. You were grateful if it didn't happen to you. So you need to keep that perspective there. But I think I think on a larger scale, Scott, I think I'm glad Steve mentioned um, Giuliani in New York because I think that what we're seeing in America is a is a large-scale version of the broken windows problem. The entire theory, which was proven to be correct, that, that Giuliani and Bill Braxton had in New York was, if you allow people to throw rocks through windows and urinate on the side of a building, that is a signal that this is a lawless area, and that means that criminals will commit any kind of acts of, of, of violence and lawlessness, up to and including murder, because it's, it's clearly a lawless area. The the uh, controversy, was, controversy was, are you saying if you arrest people who are urinating on the sides of buildings and throwing rocks at windows, that's going to cure crime? Turns out it does. Because what it's saying is, is that the law is enforced here. Now, I'm talking about this on a meta level now. I'm not talking about Texas. I'm just talking about American society in general. Yeah. When we are constantly so shown on the news, people smashing windows in stores and looting things, when we see, when we see people burning buildings down because of their because they have a political axe to grind, when we see all of this rampant lawlessness, and furthermore, when we see the kind of lawlessness on high levels that people are not getting, forget punished, they're not even going to trial. What's happening is, is the country is becoming a, a nation of broken windows where lawlessness is tolerated and it is, it is, in some cases, it's actually celebrated. I'm not saying that's what's driving this particular shooting, but I am saying that what what this is is this this for for civilized people is so reprehensible because things like this don't happen in civilized uh, countries and in civilized countries you punish people who who uh, who have records leading up to this and and you make it clear that this that the law will be enforced in this land and I think it's becoming more and more evidence every day that the law is either not enforced in this country or selectively enforced in this country. And if you have an environment like that, then you can expect this kind of lawlessness and randomness to continue to spread. The point you both made is, is correct. The, the murder rate in America is, is very high if you factor in these crime pits like Chicago and, and Baltimore and all the rest of it. If you don't, if you don't, if you take those out of the mix, we have a lower murder rate than Belgium. This is what I did with my number one with a bullet. Oh, uh, yeah. You firewall. take out, I think, 20 zip codes. And you, you actually have a lower rate than Belgium. And <clears throat> but, my, but my point is we are willing to accept the fact that 8,000 black 
men get murdered in America's cities every year because we know that if we don't go into these neighborhoods, we're not going to get murdered. What it is about these mass shootings that is so appalling to us is it happens at our schools, happens at malls, places where we could be. And I'm making the argument that if we're not concerned about if we're not concerned about doing something about the 8,000 people who we just shrug off, you know, of course they're going to be murdered this year. What do you expect, right? If you're if you're willing to accept that there are that many murders in that many downtowns as a nation, and that doesn't cause you to have serious serious questions about governance and, and law enforcement then I don't think you can be terribly surprised when this starts to seep out of these boundaries. I'm not saying that the mass shootings are, com- are committed by the people in inner cities. These kind of things are not. But that broken windows idea of where we allow this many murders, we allow this many arsons, this much looting, we allow this much shoplifting, we can't, you know, when you have a society where laws not being enforced, expect people to, to not have any respect for the law and and to think they can get away with things that would have been unthinkable certainly in the 50s and and into most of the 60s just unthinkable and by the way the, the first of these mass shootings at the university of texas was suppressed by university professors who went out to their cars and got their hunting rifles and and, and took out that shooter at the University of Texas. That's the kind of society that we had then. We had a society where teachers had rifles in their cars. And not only did they have rifles in their cars, and not just afraid of guns, when, when the shooting started, teachers started running to the sound of but gunfire. We don't have those kind of teachers today. No, our teachers today have so their what own do you personal gonna pronouns. Happen? We've made huge strides. Correct. Correct. Well, you know, perhaps it's a tribute to civilization um, or the grace of God that people on that Saturday um, were so unprepared for a random attack. Um, it's, we don't expect it. Um, I, I've shopped at that mall. I've shopped at the several malls across, around there. I've eaten at restaurants that are within eye shot of that mall. I mean, that area is is very well known locally. It's some parent came out of that uh, incident after went to, you know went to pick up his teenager and said you know where are we safe anymore and I thought that's an that's an interesting question because we do carry this presumption of safety not just in public places like we don't think we're going to be shopping at the mall and then somebody's going to show up with a rifle we believe that traveling at 70 miles an hour down the highway, the car coming in the opposite direction is not going to swerve across the line and smash into us. We cruise through our lives conducting all kinds of dangerous maneuvers in the utter security of thinking that we're insulated from it uh, for some reason. And on the one hand, um, that's nice. Like, it's really cool that you've gotten to the point in the in the progression of civilization where you don't have to be constantly checking your six. You know, you're not constantly uh, having to be engaged in situational awareness and, and making contingency plans and, you know, saying, okay, well, if a guy jumps out from behind that, what am I going to do? Um, there are people who think that way. Clearly, this uh, police officer in Allen was one of them who was ready in an unbelievably uh, short period of time um, it's phenomenal that he got there and took care of the threat so so quickly. And there are others, people who are carrying concealed weapons in Texas, who are who think the same way. Um, so, 
we shouldn't have to think like a police officer all the time, but I guess it doesn't hurt to have some people who are thinking that way. And not just police officers, but others who are able, you know, and I'm sure we'll hear stories as the days go on. I've already heard, you know, situations where store clerks grabbed customers and rushed them to the back of the store and, you know, secured them behind heavy doors and stuff like that. Um, you know, the people people took action to protect other people's lives. Um, and, and it's always encouraging to see the way humans gather together around each other, to see all that crowd that came to the church to just to pray. Um, was amazing. And the very, very small group of protesters who stood outside, you know, holding cardboard signs made with magic markers that afternoon because they knew they could get on camera if they held up a cardboard sign, were swamped by people who gathered together and said, we need to get quiet before God and, and plead with him and beg for, for mercy and healing for these people and uh, for, you know, for the family of the shooter, frankly, um, you know, how do you how do you go on with life after your son or your nephew does something like that? So there, there are a, what I'm trying to convey here in a very awkward and terrible way is this is a very human event. It's not a news story. It's not something that just you know happened out there in some remote place. It's at a shopping mall where you can, I have, and you can go shopping now. Um, it's just down the street from my church. It's around the corner from a restaurant that we really like. Um, you know, the Best Buy is across the highway. And, you know, they're just, this is, this is real American life like you know it where you are. And something like this can happen should you be constantly on alert for that? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think you need to have some level of situational awareness, but I don't think you should be afraid all the time. I think you should also recognize the rarity of it and just how, you know, extraordinarily strange it is. That's why it's a big news story that runs nonstop on cable TV, because despite the fact that they say there have been umpteen however many, you know, mass shootings this year, it's still an extraordinarily rare thing that this kind of act bursts out in a place where you wouldn't expect it and happens. So I, I want to be ready, and I am, but I also refuse to live in fear. I refuse to change my plans and say, well, I don't know if I want to go out in public because this might happen to me. It's probably not going to happen to me. And I frankly, you know, like most guys think, you know, gee, I, I hope I'm sometime in a situation where I can help other people and save their lives because of my quick action in the, in the face of an immediate threat. That's probably not going to happen either. So my friends, I think you, you just need to trust in the Lord and walk with your head up and live your life and know that none of us gets an unlimited lease on this body. It's going someday soon in my case. And, uh, and you just have to live your life as if it will keep going and find joy in the process. Mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, but rejoice with those who rejoice and keep moving forward. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible.